Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. So this morning, we are going to end our sermon series called Silver Linings. And over the last six weeks or so, we've been exploring these stories in the Old Testament where there are dark things that are happening in the lives of individuals and how God is faithful through those dark things and produces silver linings, produces transformation on the other side of those dark things. We've explored uh, five stories so far from the Old Testament, beginning with Joseph, and now we're ending here with the story of Esther. And Esther is a story that maybe uh, you haven't heard before. Maybe you don't know uh, the, the details of this story. It's, it's a very interesting story um, because it's the only book in the Old Testament that doesn't reference God at all. But it assumes that God is at work through the whole thing. So we're actually going to hear this story about how God is faithful and how God operates even in these dark times. And there are some surprises in this story. But before uh, we jump into this story, I, I want to maybe make this a little bit fun for us. Because this is a story that maybe many of you haven't heard or don't know, aren't familiar with, uh, I'm going to tell you the whole story and then we're going to look at the end and see how God uh, did a surprising thing in this story. And I'm going to warn you guys, uh, the story here does require us to learn a couple of Hebrew words. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic in there. And uh, I don't usually like to do this because for the most part, we don't need to know Hebrew words in order to understand the stories or understand what God is telling us. In fact, I would say most of the time, generally, we don't need to know the original language. But this story particularly does require us to know a couple of words so we can understand what's happening in this story. So let's set the stage for the story of Esther. This is what we read. The very first verse. This happened in the days of Ahasuerus, the same Ahasuerus who ruled over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. So this story is set in a time about 450 years before Jesus was born. If you are familiar with the biblical story, especially the Old Testament, uh, this story happened about the same time as Ezra and Nehemiah. So Israel, the Jewish people, they're in exile. They had disobeyed God and God had told them, he says, I'm going to show my faithfulness, my mercy to you uh, by casting you into exile and showing you that I'm still your God, even without a temple or an altar, that I'm still your God, even when you aren't in your own land. And then I'm going to restore you to show you that I'm faithful to you. And so at this point, there was one group of Jews who had already been sent back from exile to Jerusalem and they were beginning to rebuild the temple and the altar and eventually will rebuild the walls that we see in Ezra and Nehemiah. And so most of the Jews, especially many of the, of the noble families, uh, many of the wealthy families, they are in exile in a place called Babylon, 
which is to the east of Israel, uh, quite a a ways. And at this point in the story, Babylon has been overthrown by the Persians. And so now uh, Israel is in exile in Babylon under Persian rule. So the Jewish people are not in their own home. They are not able to worship God the way that they have historically been able to and the way that God gave them in the Old Testament through the temple and through sacrifices. So this is a very dark moment. In fact, many of the, of the most heartbreaking and saddest poems and stories and prophecies that we hear in the Old Testament are during this time. This is a very, very dark time for the Jewish people. And so let's see, uh, let's meet some of the characters that we're going to run into here uh, this morning. The first one that I want to, to make sure that you guys know is Ahasuerus, and this is going to be our first Hebrew word. This is the Persian king, and his name in Hebrew is Ahash Verosh. Ahash Verosh. I want you guys to practice that. Ahash and what you need to do is that in Hebrew, um, they had this letter that you really have to like clear out some phlegm in the back here. So it's almost like you have a piece of popcorn, like a little popcorn kernel stuck in the back of your tongue and you can't quite get it out and you're like, ah, and you don't want to like jam your finger back in there and make yourself gag. So you're trying to cough it out. That's what you got to do. So this is Ahash Verosh. We're just going to call him Ahasuerus because that name is way too hard to say. So this is the king of Persia, the emperor, and he's ruling over most of the Middle East and some of the Near East during this time. Then we have our girl Esther, and she's the main character of the story. She's the one that the book is named after. She is a Jewish woman who is known, she is known to have this amazing beauty about her. She's also a very faithful Jewish woman, which is uh, really important to the story. Then we have her uncle, Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is a faithful and righteous Jewish man who is attempting to live the way that God wants in exile. Lastly, the fourth main character in this story is a man named Haman, who is a Persian um, and is Ahasuerus' right-hand man during the bulk of this story. So these are the four main characters that we're going to see throughout this story. Ahasuerus, Esther, Mordecai and Haman. And by the way, Esther's name in Hebrew is Esther. I'm not going to do that with all of them, uh, but Esther is actually just Esther. So this is the story. Ahasuerus is looking for a new wife. I'm not going to get into why he had got rid of his old wife, but he's looking for a new wife and he holds this, essentially a beauty pageant. And Esther wins this beauty pageant and they get married. And everything is wonderful. Um, She is now the queen of of Persia, the queen of the Persian empire. And here's the first surprising thing that we see, is that in the midst of exile, of being away from their own home, of being away from their own uh, religion and way of worshiping God, a Jewish person ascends to one of the thrones of the empire. This is the first surprising thing that we run into. Uh, as Danny said, this is one of the yay moments, right? In the midst of this roller coaster, this is a really cool way that God is operating and working in this story, that a Jewish woman is brought to the throne, and she is now the queen of the Persian empire. But the thing is, is that the Jews weren't well liked by the Babylonians or the Persians, and so she hid her Jewishness from the king and from um, the royal family and from all the officials. So they didn't know she was a Jew. 
But this is one of the first surprising reversals of this story. As the story goes on, uh, Mordecai, who's just kind of a normal Jewish man, he apparently has some sort of um, authority or some sort of respect in the Jewish community, but he actually hears on the street that there's an assassination plot going on to kill King Ahasuerus. And so he goes and he talks to his niece, Esther, and they're kind of a father-daughter relationship. It's kind of, it seems like he's kind of adopted her into his family. And so he goes to Queen Esther and he tells her that someone is attempting to kill the king. And so she tells the king and of course the king is elated and the king celebrates that he is saved um, and, and that Mordecai has given him um, this information to save his life. Now, meanwhile, during all this good thing that Mordecai is doing and all this wonderful stuff that's happening, Haman, Ahasuerus' right-hand man, begins to demand a lot of respect from the people of the Persian Empire. Mordecai, being an upright dude, uh, very righteous, he does not respect Haman, he does not like Haman, and he refuses to bow down before Haman. And this makes Haman very angry. So Haman is mad at Mordecai, and he actually begins to scheme how he can get back at Mordecai. And there's kind of a twofold plan that Haman has because of a couple things that Mordecai has done to him. The first one is he wants to get back at Mordecai by killing as many Jews as possible. He's very upset, and he's kind of honing in his anger at this particular ethnic uh, group of people. And secondly, he convinces the king, Ahasuerus, who by this time had forgotten that Mordecai saved his life. He convinces the king, Ahasuerus, to execute Mordecai because he's being disrespectful to a royal official. And so what they're going to do is that they're actually going to impale Mordecai on a stake. Uh, And later we're going to hear the term hung on the gallows. Um, That's kind of an older term from the King James Bible that's just being um, brought through many English translations. But literally what's happening here is that they would have stakes and they would actually impale people on them. It was a gruesome, horrific way to be executed. And so Haman talks to the king and he convinces the king to do two things. One, to execute Mordecai to get a stake ready to execute Mordecai. And the second thing is to wipe out the Jews that are living in Babylon. And the king who, this, the king liked to party. Actually, the, the, the book of Esther opens up with the king on this drunken binge in this party. So he's pretty easily influenced because he was not wise um, with, his, with his liquor. He was not wise with his, who he spent time with. And so Haman convinces King Ahasuerus to kill the Jews. And the way that they're going to do this is that they're going to institute two days where the Persians and the Babylonians can openly attack and kill the Jews with no punishment. So it's open season on the Jewish people. And the way that they decided this was, this is already a a barbaric act. And the way that they decide the dates that they're going to do this is by rolling dice. Excuse me. Uh, essentially rolling dice. It's called casting lots, where it's essentially a, way, a game of chance, and they decide the month and the day that they're going to kill all the Jews by chance. This is a pretty dark uh, episode in the book of Esther. This is definitely one of those uh, moments where something very bad is going to happen to the Jews. Now, here's a Hebrew word that we need to know. The dice, the way that they cast lots in the Persian language is the word poor, poor. There you have it on the screen, P-U-R. 
are. So they cast poor, they rolled poor in order to decide when they were going to execute all the Jews. Well, of course, uh, Mordecai and Esther hear this and they think it's horrible. And so they go about this plan to get the king and Esther alone so that Esther can plead to the king um, to do this. And, and the Persians, they were very, everything was very formal. And so they had this formal decree where the king had to put a seal on the decree and it got sent out and there's no way to reverse these decrees. Also the queen, the, the king's wife, if the, even if the king's wife came to him in a, in a way that was not respectful or a way that was not a formal, that could actually put her in danger for death. So they create this scheme where they create these parties, because of course Ahasuerus liked to party, where they created this party where Esther could get alone with the king and she begs him. She tells him that she's a Jew, uh, risking her own life, and begs him to reverse his decree. Well, in the midst of this kind of party scene, he hears, he remembers that Mordecai saved him all that time back from the assassination attempt. And eventually he goes back to Esther to talk to her and he sees Haman talking to Esther and he assumes that Haman is actually advancing on her, actually trying to put a move on her. And so this is when all these reversals really begin to come into play. The king, Ahasuerus, is so mad at Haman that he actually executes Haman on the stake that was meant for Mordecai. So, Haman is killed on the very stake, the very gallows that Mordecai, that was, that was designed and set up and planned for Mordecai. Mordecai is actually raised up to the level of Haman and becomes one of the king's uh, closest advisors. And, and Mordecai and Esther, they begin to talk to the king about what they can do to save the Jews. And unfortunately, because this is such a formal culture, that you cannot reverse a decree. Once the king has given the decree, it cannot be reversed. So they hatched a plan. And the plan was this, that the king was gonna give a second decree and on the days that it's kind of open season for the Jewish people, where the Persians and the Babylonians can kill them without punishment, the king decrees that the Jews can defend themselves without threat of punishment. Also, the Persian army is going to support and help the Jews defend themselves. So that's the second decree. So yes, those two days, are still open season on the Jews, but now they can defend themselves and they also have the most powerful army helping them and supporting them to defend themselves. Well, needless to say, the time comes when those two days are, are here, are upon them. And there are some Persians and Babylonians who still try to attack and destroy the Jews, but the Jews and those who are helping them defend, uh, defend themselves well, and it actually turns out that instead of Jews dying, 75,000 Babylonians and Persians, the enemies of the Jews, end up dying on that day. So the individuals who wanted to kill and destroy the Jews are actually the ones who get destroyed. That's the story of Esther. It is full, full of these reversals. An exiled Jewish woman becomes the queen. A Jewish man in exile saves the king. 
the man who was going to be killed and put to death because of his disrespect to a Persian official, uh, the, the actual gallows that he was supposed to die on, that Persian official gets killed on. The day that the Jews were supposed to be eradicated and eliminated from the Persian Empire is actually the day that they defended themselves and were saved from their enemies. The book of Esther is all about these surprising reversals of fortune. And that's when we get to our text today. This is the very end, or near the very end of Esther, and it reads this. Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. Uh, he, recorded, he recorded all the things that had happened, from um, Esther becoming queen all the way to him saving the king, to Haman wanting to kill Mordecai, to all the great reversals that happened that actually saved Mordecai, saved the Jewish people. He recorded all of those things, and he sent them to all the Jews in the Persian Empire, both near and far. And he and joining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same month, year by year. So instituting the two days that um, Ahasuerus and uh, Haman had, had rolled the poor to choose, they chose the 14th and 15th day of Adar, that those two days every single year as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. So Mordecai, by the decree of the Persian king, by the decree of the emperor, uh, institutes a new holiday for the Jews where the two days that they were supposed to be eradicated and destroyed would now be a holiday. That this was the day that there was this great reversal from sorrow to gladness, from mourning into a holiday and this is what they should do. That they should make them days of feasting and gladness. Days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. So the Jews adopted as a custom what they had begun to do, as Mordecai had written to them. Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor, that is, the lot, to crush and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he gave orders in writing, that is the decree, that the wicked plot that he had devised against the Jews should come upon his own head, that is, Haman's own head, and that he and his son should be hanged in the gallows, you know, uh, stuck with a giant stake. Therefore, these days are called Purim, from the word pur. Thus, because of all that, has, that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and what have happened to them. So here's another little, little Hebrew thing. The ending I am is a plural. So they're saying that this is the day of dice, the Purim, that's, that's plural, uh, multiple dice. So they're saying this is the day of dice. So understand this. They had all these great reversals and the way to celebrate this great reversal of fortune for Esther and for Mordecai and for the king or for the Jewish people, they name the holiday after the very method that their destruction was chosen. That this, is, this is ingenious. It's ironic, it's surprising but the thing that was actually going to cause them suffering, they harnessed that word, they harnessed that thing, and they named the holiday where they were rescued after the thing that, was, that chose when they were going to be destroyed. 
This book of Esther is all about these amazing reversals of fortune where an exiled people was rescued by a decree from the king. That an exiled people, uh, one of their people would become the queen. Where uh, one of their people who was sentenced to death actually had his accusers and his enemies sentenced to the exact same death in the exact same way on the exact same place, the same spike. And that the very method that was chosen how, when they were going to be destroyed is the thing that they named their holiday after. It's all these amazing reversals of fortune. And this is actually exactly what we read all the way back in our first sermon from this series. We heard the story of Joseph. And after Joseph had suffered because of his brothers and ended up as one of the princes of Egypt, and his brothers were afraid, they came to him for help, and they were afraid that he was going to punish them and hurt them, Joseph said to his brothers, he said, what you willed for evil, God willed for good. That's exactly what we see here in the story of Esther. The very things that are willed for evil are reversed, and God uses them for good. So, what will you find on the other side of your dark cloud? You're going to find reversal. You're going to find a reversal of your fortune. But here's where I need to make a caveat, is that the stories in the Bible are not necessarily meant to be an exact blueprint of what we will experience. They're designed to tell us how God operates in the world and to show us God and to point us to Jesus. So what you will probably not experience, 95% of the time, you will not experience a reversal of your suffering in this life. More often than not, we're going to have to survive suffering and learn how to live in a new normal after the suffering. More often than not, things aren't reversed in this life. But after the resurrection, all of our suffering is reversed. And all of our suffering turns in to glory. And this is exactly what happened to Jesus when he was resurrected. This is what we read in the Gospel of John. This is after uh, Thomas says to the other disciples, he says, I'm only gonna believe that Jesus is resurrected if I can put my hand in his side, in the gouge in his side, and also in the holes in his hand. And this is what happens. Jesus came and stood among them, that is the disciples, and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus, when he was resurrected, he had a resurrected body, which means he could kind of appear and disappear. He was kind of, he was unrecognizable in many of the places. He had to, he had to show who he was to many of the disciples. We, he had this kind of otherworldly body that was changed. It was different, but he still had the marks of his suffering. He had the marks in his hand. He had the gouge in his side. The marks of his self-sacrificial love were still there, even after resurrection. There was a great reversal in the life of Jesus from death to life. But this reversal still left the marks 
of suffering. So what will you find on the other side? You're gonna find reversal. More than likely, it's gonna be after resurrection. It's gonna be after the new heaven and the new earth are recreated and we are living with God for eternity, the life after death. More than likely, your reversal will be then. But the very marks of our suffering are the very things that bring glory to us. We're told in Revelation that Jesus appears to John like a lamb who's been slaughtered with his throat sliced. The very ways that we suffer and the very ways that we uh, sacrifice ourselves are the ways, are the things that bring us glory in the new heaven and the new earth. The financial strain that you experience because you're caring for your granddaughters or your grandkids who uh, maybe their parents aren't in a healthy place to raise children. That suffering, the mark of that suffering, the financial strain will be reversed and you're gonna walk the streets of gold. You're gonna have a home with Jesus. The marks of a mother's body after birth while treated as unattractive in our world are gonna be the marks of glory, of self-giving love. Those are the marks of glory in the new heaven and the new earth. The isolation that we feel because we are not willing to participate in the things that our neighbors are willing to participate in, because we choose to be removed from the anger and the hate that we see in our system, that isolation is gonna be reversed into freedom in Christ and eternal relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. It's gonna be a great reversal, but your mark of suffering, of sacrifice, is gonna be the very thing that gives you glory in the new heaven and the new earth. You will find reversal. You will be given reversal. And it will most likely be after the resurrection. And just like Jesus, who walked around with a huge gaping hole in his side and holes in his wrists, you will bear the marks of your sacrifice and your suffering. But those are going to be the things that bring you glory. Those are going to be the things that God glorifies you with in the new heaven and the new earth. Stay